I am now. No, no, you just, I'm, it's not going to come through the speaker, but it, am I recording? Okay. Man, I'm getting into the habit of starting recording these things again. We've actually, for the, since 2017, we started recording messages, and uh, you know, it's been a weird thing. I've been redoing the website. I hadn't talked a lot about it, um, but with us having the building, well, I'll, just, I'll spend some time this morning with it. With us um, getting the building finally and, and uh, moving in here and really starting to take shape and, and uh, starting to feel like home and... Uh, it's been fun on Wednesday nights meeting and just having a meal right out here. And, uh, man, it just is. It's starting to feel like home. I come up here uh, on Monday or Tuesday at times and study and just sit over there on the on one of these tables and chairs and watch everybody go by and, and uh, uh, bring, like, some Chick-fil-A over and just enjoy some quiet time. And it's been a nice little place to just, you know, get away and enjoy uh, the Lord. And so with that happening, I've, I've been really looking into next year already as to <clears throat> what we want to do or where we want to move forward with. And one of those things was is just getting us up to date on everything else. So, you know, we're always going to be, uh, uh, we're, we're, I say we're always, we're probably never going to be the mega church. It's just not my desire in my heart. My heart is to make disciples. And if I looked at even disciples in any church, most of them are it's about 10%. Because usually that 10% is doing all the work in the entire church anyway. And, and I can honestly say that I have the, I have the opposite, right? I mean, like, like most of everybody in my church does the work because every, everybody in here is pretty much a believer in Jesus, which, by the way, is very biblical in the, in the book of Acts. Everybody in the church, we talked about this last week a little bit. If you came to church in the book of Acts, they already had to vet you outside. You had to get saved and get baptized because I'm not going to bring you in here. You could get everybody killed. So you had to be on the hit list with all of us <coughs> to bring you in the church. And that's how the church started. And so <coughs> when you look at the different, when Paul's talking to the church and he's dressing the Corinthian church and he's addressing these churches while persecution's out, he, he really is talking to saved people or people who at least say they're saved and have been baptized in front of everybody these are the people he's talking to. He's not talking to, like, hey, listen, you've got these lost believers amongst you, or these lost people amongst you causing you problems. He's like, no, nah, you believers got problems. <clears throat> so the church has never been perfect, but it's been saved. <laughs> and, you know, when you look at the early church, some of the works that you see in the early church, the believers that were hot on fire did crazy works. And I want a church like that. And then most of the time in churches, most all, even all the big churches, we've talked about this, where the small group has always been the backbone of every church. Why? Because that's the biblical church. The biblical church has to fund the man-made church. That's the only way the man-made church works. Uh, I'm not going to knock either one. People get saved all over, but a lot of that has to do with God's grace and God's mercy, not so much of the things we do. You know, we, we do things all the time. I mean, I, I talked about this with some of the guys that I mentioned. I said, you know, in my life, I have, uh, I've got kind of two outlooks. Like you can either, I, I see two types of people, people that embrace the sovereignty of God and people that don't. And, and what I mean by that is like, say, say, take Joseph, for example. And Joseph is born into uh, uh, this dream that he has. You know, he's last, he, you know, he's the, at that point, he's the youngest son. Benjamin hadn't been born yet, you know. And uh, Jacob favors him a little bit because he's the youngest. And, you know, he has this dream and he sees the end from the beginning, right? But he doesn't know how it's going to be. God, through, and there's no way for me to us look any other way, but through divine providence, puts him into his life. And, you know, through thro being thrown into slavery, being thrown into uh, prison off a fake rape charge uh, to enduring prison, I don't remember a scripture where Joseph complains. Matter of fact, everywhere I see Joseph, he just makes the best of his life and keeps moving forward. Right? I mean, all the way up to the point he ends up Prince of Egypt, and you're like, how did this thing even happen, right? Pro mainly because when he went to work for Potiphar, he didn't act like a bitter man. I mean, he had every reason to be bitter. Come on, his brother sold him into slavery. I'd be bitter. But he didn't act like a bitter man. When he's thrown uh, into jail, even off false charges, we don't hear him acting bitter or horrible or anything in there. He's not cursing God, going back against the Lord. He's not saying any of those things, right? He just accepts there's this providence in his life where he just accepts that God must be doing the things that he's doing, and that's just this how it is because everywhere he goes, he blesses the person who he's with, right? Or you can be a Samson. God has God's will for your life is going to be accomplished, right? And from the very beginning, the same vision goes out for Samson. He will take down the Philistines, right? And what does he do with his anointing? He takes the gifts that he has, and he does whatever he wants to with them, right? But in the end, what happens? He ends up taking down the Philistines, minus two eyeballs, right? 
you can be Joseph in your life and you can accept you can accept these things and move on and keep moving forward and accept the providence and the sovereignty of God in your life, right? That, that these things happen, good or bad, for the glory of the Lord, right? which we're going to talk about this morning. It's going to walk its way into it. Or you can be a Samson. You can squander and take advantage of and try to ruin everything and still end up God using you despite you. You know? That's why even the enemies of the Lord end up being the tool of the Lord. Just a, just a way to bless the, the righteous. The wicked end up being the tool to bless the righteous, to make God's name known. He ends up using them no matter what. You can either accept it and be used by God and walk with God in that process, or he can just drag you. You pick. You get to pick that part, you know? Either way. You're not bigger than God. Either way. And so as, as part of this process for, for us has been like discovery, like going back to base roots, developing a core group of believers uh, developing as, as disciples and growing as disciples, still in trying to embrace the challenges that are in front of us, reaching out like on Halloween, doing help for heroes, reaching out to individuals and people and helping them and paying for gas or paying for groceries or paying bills or whatever that is, however we can help people that we're connected to, right? Because that's how we're going to make the best impact. Blind, blind help sometimes, it's, it's, God will call us to it, I agree, but also it, how do we follow up when it's just blind help? Usually when we're connected to somebody, we can help them. We can be a friend. They can see Jesus through us, those kind of things. Well, we have this opportunity here now. We have more structure than we've ever been. We've got this nice little place. Uh, uh, we're growing as a group of believers, uh, and we've developed a very strong uh, core and a very strong walk that feels very stable right now. Well, one of the things I wanted to do is at least present that. You know, we don't do a ton of advertising, a ton of marketing, but what we there are some things we do that if you were telling somebody, I'd love for you to be able to use the website as a tool or our Facebook page as a tool. And I've been horrible at keeping up with the Facebook page and probably will uh, eventually just release that to somebody else to handle. But, but one of the things I can do is rebuild our website, make it more uh, user-friendly. So if you were to invite somebody, they could see it, you know, those kind of things. I want, I want better signage. I'm working on that. I did pay for the windows to be done. Uh, that should be happening here for quick. I mean, it was like two or three weeks ago, so I'm going to have to call him this week. But, but our signage out on the front, I want it to be better. And I'd like as we turn the, the page here for 2020 to start off on this note where our Facebook has been updated, our website's been updated, pictures of our facility are on there, things like this, where we can begin to, to grow a little more as a family. I'm not looking to, to pack this place out, then I wouldn't know what to do. If we pack this place out, I'm going to raise up another pastor and we're going to put another church somewhere. That's what's going to happen. Right, and then some of you are going to be asked to like go help out. Who's ever going to take over that place? That's how it's going to be. And then we'll start over from two smaller churches, and we'll make small these small footprints. I honestly think like we're really onto something. You know, really, especially in a town like this where it costs a fortune. You know, I remember remember a while back, Eric will probably remember this, where we looked at the old blockbuster. It was thirty five hundred square feet. They wanted eight thousand a month for that. Yeah. Yeah. Because we, we, we were talking about making offers. They weren't interested in offers. And it sat empty for a year. All right? Dickies moved in there, cut it in half, and they went out of business. Because it's hard to afford that around here. So small footprints in the city might be the only way we can survive these kind of cities. And so the church has got to be okay with being small. It should be. It's its biblical foundation, you know. So there's a lot of things going on. We're going to keep recording. Uh, with that being said, the reason why all that kind of got started was because part of it, not only, we would always been putting it up on the website, but we'd never had a way it was any other convenient other than that. And definitely if you're kind of internet friendly or phone friendly, uh, it wasn't out there where you could just like launch it on a iPod, you know, like a, your iPod app on, on uh, iTunes or anything like that. Well, that's changed. It's actually on SoundCloud right now, and we actually have it on iTunes. You can go to iTunes to the uh, podcast section of iTunes, and our stuff is there. And so three years of stuff, it took a little while to get it all there. It took a while to migrate it all, but it's there. <coughs> a few gigs. Of, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> great, great. I'm not, I'm not down with the video just yet. I see everybody doing the video stuff like on Facebook. I don't, I, like, you're, unfortunately for you, your pastor's not that good looking to pull that off, and, uh, and, and I'm just not sure about it yet, like, like, that's for us. I love the idea that the message is there. If you didn't catch it, you could catch it, or like, like, I know that there are a few podcasts out there I'll listen to occasionally, maybe not a lot, but occasionally, and it's nice to hear something every once in a while, or somebody will 
Some, hey, you should check out this message. And so I'll check out that podcast on that message. And then it makes me hear something else maybe that I like. So I definitely want that opportunity out there because I do have people that ask me, even from people up north, that'll ask me every once in a while, you know, and, and I can just send them that way. Hey, we've got a podcast out there that you can check out what we preach at our church and what we believe. And uh, I'd love to be able to send them to our website. And that's an easy access portal that's, you know, aesthetically pleasing and matches what we're doing here so that's what i've been working on a lot uh i haven't been talking about it yet because i wanted to launch it but just to give you the heads up of where we're at if you'll turn with me to exodus exodus the hard part is i got to go back and preach all these old messages to get us back on exodus i think i'm about six or seven behind so i've got a day up here where i'm just gonna preach to myself and uh probably bring up drink a lot of water I think we're going to be at chapter 8 so we're back uh, to our core subject this morning the book of Exodus <clears throat> I think we should always keep in mind <clears throat> that this isn't a story about Moses this isn't a story about Moses this is a story about God and how he interacts with his people, ultimately how he saves and redeems his people. This needs to be how we focus on this book. This is, as great as this story is, as awesome as this story is, this is a book about God and how he talks with his people, how he relates, how he helps his people. This is how we focus on this book. It gives us a proper outlook. Well, it's chapter 8, yep, Exodus so we left it off. We were in chapter 8 last time, and we left off with Pharaoh dealing with frogs and some gnats and things like that. And if you'll turn there, we're going to jump right in our text this morning, Exodus 8. And I'm just going to begin at verse 16. We'll read to 19, and then I'll pray. Say amen if you're there. Amen. All right. Then the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth so that it may be become gnats in all the land of Egypt, and they did so. Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth, and there were gnats on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt. The magicians tried uh, by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. The magicians said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Let's pray. Father, Lord, this is your word this morning. This is a story about you. This is a story about how you talk and deal with your people, God. Father, I pray that you would talk to us and deal with us this morning, God. Father, continue to pour into us, continue to sow seed into us, God, that we may bear fruit, God. Lord, do not let us be like the fig tree, having the appearance of leaves where there would fruit be, and be no fruit. Lord, make us fruitful. Let these scriptures, God, bear witness to our heart and soften it, God, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so up until this point, the magicians had been able to perform every task, but now they're stumped, right? Uh, however, this continual denial of who God is has cost Pharaoh his heart. It's become hard, like hard as stone. It's immovable. But the magicians, they relent, like they're done. They're saying, hey, this is the finger of God. This is enough for them, right? This is the point they've reached where, okay, we can't do anything else. This is something else. They had reached the end of all the magic, right, for them. And, and it, 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 but here's the problem. That magic had already cast doubts, right, on Pharaoh. He has a hard time believing it when his guy's like, listen, it just means this is a trick you ain't figured out yet, right? So he, he reeks with pride. Pharaoh reeks with arrogance at this point. He's at a place where he'd rather die than give in. Like, I don't believe it anymore. Like, the first two or three, we could do these things. These are just tricks my guys haven't figured out yet. As soon as my guys figure these out, right? And here's the thing. I don't know if you've ever been there. Have you ever been so mad or maybe so angry at something where you, you have doubts and you just refuse to budge? Like, I know, I know I have, right? I've done a lot of dumb things being stubborn. A lot of dumb things being stubborn where I don't care even if someone's right, I'm still not relenting, right? I'm still not going to give in. I, I've been that angry before, right? So the Lord sends these, 
gnats, right? He, he, sends, he sends flies ultimately, right? And for the sake of reading tons of scriptures and going through every single plague, I'm just going to jump to the conclusion of each one, right? Exodus 8.32, but Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also and did not let the people go. So flies don't work. The Lord sends, you know what? I'll send a plague on all the livestock, okay, right? Exodus 9.7, but the heart of Pharaoh was hardened and he did not let the people go. So once more, Pharaoh doesn't budge. You know what? I'll send boils, right? That's usually a good one good one, right? Exodus 9, 12, but the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh and he did not listen to them as the Lord spoke to Moses. So the Lord sends hail. Seems like a good one, right? It gets pretty bad. It's bad enough that Pharaoh is actually frightened into relenting, right? However, Exodus 9, 34 through 35, but when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart and he and his servants so the, Pharaoh, so the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people of Israel just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. So he said, okay, and then he's like, I take, take back, I take it back, right? Uh, so the Lord sent locusts uh, and even a strange darkness, Exodus 10, 28, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. So many times Pharaoh's given a chance to turn back. Bunch. Why? Because the grace of God's at work. Even in Pharaoh, God humbles the proud and uses them to bring glory to himself. Romans 9, 17, Paul offers this truth. For the scriptures say to Pharaoh, for this very purpose have I raised you up that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So the implication here is that even Pharaoh's hard heart serves the will of God. Think about that now. Think, think about when it, there, there's a big, well, I'm going to jump ahead. Got to be careful here. All right. All right. <laughs> now, could the Lord just as easily have been done after the plague? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But the apostle Peter reveals to us that the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So even the wicked, they become this tool. And why do they become the tool? Because God has much patience with them, more than we do, more than we do. This can only lead us to see the revelation of God's sovereignty here. God is sovereign in this moment. There is no end to this revelation either. You will spend your entire life trying to understand the mystery of God's will and purpose. No doubt. I'm going to tell you right now, the biggest question I get answered is, I just want to know what God's will is for me. Do you know what God's will is for me? I just want to know what my purpose is. Do you know what my purpose is, right? It's beyond us sometimes. Uh, but, but though we get this glimpse of it here and there and throughout not only the scriptures but our lives here, in, in this particular case, we see God using Pharaoh. He's using Pharaoh, his enemy, right, to accomplish his means, right? In this particular case, the Lord wants to be known as the deliverer and redeemer of the Israelites, and he's accomplishing it through signs and wonders. I mean, it's, it's really interesting. I got asked, uh, I think it was in the store, we were talking to, about like hardship, and, and I got asked about spiritual warfare, and I told him, like, I don't really, I don't really get, I don't, I don't really I don't, not that I don't understand spiritual warfare. I just don't experience it very much. And they're like, oh, it's because, you know, you, people automatically, so it's because you don't live right, you know, or something. Or, and, uh, and I'm like, well, I think it also has to do with how I view the devil. Listen, it's not about not respecting what he has the ability to do, by the way, which is given to him by the Lord. But it's also the fact that God governs him. The book of Job reeks of that. Like, there's no way to read Job and not see the devil used like Pharaoh. Like, God used the devil to bring the pride out of Job. He used him like a syringe to suck out the pride of Job. The devil ends up being a tool. And honestly, he ends up becoming what? What he's always been created to be. He's an angel. What's an angel? The messenger of God. <clears throat> so it's very hard for me to take seriously a guy who is, he is powerful, but not the most powerful the most powerful one is my advocate. So if that, if I put him in his proper place where he can only do what he's allowed to do, that means when I experience something in my life, like Pharaoh, right? Like the Egyptian children, I find myself in the same predicament here, right? Where there's something, hardship, adversity, difficulty that I'm facing, right? That's coming, maybe that's spiritual hardship and spiritual difficulty, right? But 
I look at the book of Job and I look at these things. Well, God is trying to show me something and tell me something, reveal something about himself to me. God is trying to make himself known, right? He uses the Pharaoh in this moment, the enemy, and he threw signs and wonders to reveal himself, right? Exodus 10, 1 and 2, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go in to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of, of mine among them. And that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your grandsons how I dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what sign I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. So God brings about this. He allows this to keep taking place, right? He could have stopped that after the first one, couldn't he? I mean, listen, isn't that a saying? Haven't you ever wondered that? God could have stopped this and he didn't, so it must have been the will of God. And at some point, you have to accept some of that. Like, this is the way it is. Like, God allows me to make a decision. Whatever I reap from that decision is the will of God. For he allowed me to make it. He allows me to endure it. All right? And here's the thing. Why? Why? So that I would know that he is the Lord. God just right there, scripturally said that this thing is happening now. So that they can tell their kids and their grandkids about this unbelievable signs and wonder God who has redeemed them from the land. And it, it, listen, this is not just a theme left for this book. It, it's the theme throughout, really, the Old Testament. I mean, through the prophet Jeremiah, we see that God has this desire to be known. Jeremiah 24, 7. I will give them a heart, and here's that phrase again, to know that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return to me with their whole heart. Right? return there there's that part again too from there to ezekiel whose book can be summed up really under this entire banner we find even more traces of this phrase and really this theology of how everything that happens is that so that you may know he is the lord well why why did i experience such loss and tragedy in my life why well you know i've lost people in my life so that you can know that he is the lord yeah why, why did this happen so that you would know that he is the lord yeah. Why does sickness take place? So that you'll know that he is the Lord. God can stop it if he chooses not to. If he chooses to, either way, it's so that you would know that he is the Lord. That's hard to accept. At the end, if you fight with that or you struggle with that, that shows more about you than him. It shows more about you. Listen to God through the prophet Ezekiel when he's angry. Ezekiel 5.13, Thus shall my anger spend itself. And I will vent my fury upon them and satisfy myself. And they shall know that I am the Lord, that I have spoken in my jealousy and, and when I spend my fury upon them. So even when correction comes, I experience it because God wants me to know that he is the Lord. <laughs> this phrase, the, to know that I am the Lord, is a reoccurring theme throughout the entire Bible. I mean, literally, I could go on from Scripture to Scripture uh, it's created this idea in me that for every joy in my life, every blessing in my life, even the painful and struggling moments of my life have arrived to me so that I may know that he is the Lord over all of it. When times are good, it's so that I would know that he is the Lord. And when times are bad, it's so that I would know that he is the Lord. Which brings me to this like obvious, obvious conclusion, right? That God wants to be known. God wants to be known. And you think you're frustrated. Try being invisible. <laughs> I think when he came to Jesus, like, you know what? I've been invisible for long enough. I'm going to put my spirit in flesh, and then that's going to be the answer, right? Nope, they killed him. Nope, that's us for you, right? Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich boast in its riches. But let him who boasts boast in this that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For, I, for in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Let him boast in that he knows me. God wants to be known. This whole book is, is dedicated to one objective, that you would know the one true living God, period. This entire purpose of Jesus Christ is this. The Apostle John revealed in his letters that this was the purpose of Jesus. He said, we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true in his Son, Jesus Christ. Right? John said his whole purpose that he came is that we would know him. Our whole purpose as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is to what? To make known 
God the Father, whose will it was for Jesus to come down and be a sacrifice for many. Why did Jesus come down? To make known God the Father. That's your purpose. That's your purpose. How you live your life. We talked about this. The, in the book of Acts, we were called the way in the beginning because how we lived our life did what? It revealed God the Father. It revealed the Lord to people. They act in a way that's contrary to everything else. It revealed our way of life, revealed God. This is a part of our teaching this morning. It's a fundamental basic that you have to understand in your walk with God. You need to, right? The realization of this helps you in like the everyday parts of your life. Once you come to grips with all that happens in your life is some sort of lesson that should be drawing you closer to relationship with God, with knowing God, then it softens the blows of hardship while sweetening the joy that can be found. That's the truth. That's why I don't struggle with spiritual warfare very much. Right? I don't get too down like when hardship happens. I see it as providence. That changes everything, doesn't it? Think about that. You walk through your life. Like I've been so attracted to figures. I, I remember a, a movie a while back, and, and one of these figures, very much like a prophet, and everything that happens, uh, they, he, he walks in, he's got three individuals in a room, and, and they're presented with this unknown task that he had no idea about, but the task calls for three individuals to be there. And when everybody else is looking at that like that's a coincidence, he goes, it's no coincidence. It's how it's supposed to be. Uh, three, three tasks, three people. I see providence. I see, you know, something greater happening here. Listen, once you start to see your life as more divine, listen, and you see God big like that, God orchestrating things, God engineering things, it's not coincidence Moses ends up right where he is. It's not coincidence that Aaron ends up helping him. It's not coincidence that Joseph gets the dream and ends up right where he does. And, and a lot of people would like you to think that, Everything that happened in Joseph's life was just a series of misfortunate events, but because God is so strong, he made it work no matter what. That's not true. That's not true. God doesn't, pre God doesn't present that in the Bible. God presents that he's always in control. Just because he doesn't share with you the journey doesn't mean it's not the journey. By the way, he doesn't share with you the journey because you won't like where it has to go sometimes. You won't like it. <clears throat> This is the point. This is why it's so fundamental. This sovereignty part is big. It's big. It, it will bring peace to your life in hardship. And when you do have blessing, it makes it even greater because you know that he is the Lord over those moments, right? And when it's hardship, you know that he is the Lord and will deliver you from these moments. And even if he doesn't, you stand on the scriptures like Hebrew and go, whether he delivers me or not, I will follow the Lord, right? Unfortunately, many people never find this. Many people find themselves at odds with God. It's true. They're like Pharaoh. They've allowed pride to swallow them whole, and they lack any real true repentance. Right? And what does repentance mean? I like to say it easy. It means like a 180 or to return. But the actual definition is a summons to a personal and absolute and ultimate unconditional surrender to God as sovereign. That's the theological definition of that. Pharaoh relents. There are times when he says, all right, <laughs> go pray and ask that God will stop this, and I'll let all your people go. And he relents, right? But he's not repentative, right? He's not repenting like, all right, I was wrong. He's not saying that. He's just relenting, right? But because he doesn't repent, he just takes it right back. And if you pay attention to what he did, listen, he, he gave in at times to get what he wanted. But because his heart never changed, it never surrendered to the sovereignty of God. He never repented. He never changed. Listen, I've experienced this a lot in ministry and life, and maybe here's where the, everything meets the road here. People come to church, which they interpret to mean follow Jesus. Listen, it's not necessarily what it is, but that's what they interpret it to be. They, they come when it's convenient or when it best suits their life. They aren't necessarily following Jesus for his heart half as much as they are for his hands. Once they receive what they want, they leave until the next time it gets difficult or hard. I see it all the time, guys. We see it here, right? They find themselves, uh, they unplug from the body and then wonder where the arms and feet of the body are when they need them. <laughs> Golly, that's so true. They, they find themselves perpetually immature and wonder why they're still struggling with the same things. They've always struggled with. They don't grow. 
because they're not around anybody else that's grown. They don't spend time learning. They don't spend time in their Bible. They don't spend time praying. They only come to God when they need something from God, right? And, 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 and listen, I, I've been there, man. I've been there, man. We were, I just never really fully unconditionally surrender. I surrender a little, right? I, how many times have you bartered with God? God, if, you do th- if you'll do this, I will do this. And we'll make it right, God. Like, I will start coming all the time, God. I will, I will be faithful. If you will just make sure this bills get taken care of, I don't even care how you do it, God. Send me some of that money in the mail. Do whatever, God. <laughs> Lord, make it happen. And uh, as soon as it happens, you know, we, what do we do? We get like, all right, that was good. I'm there for two weeks after that. And like, oh, well, I got something else going on. God, you'll understand. Man, we're the biggest promise breakers I've ever seen. We don't sing that song, do we? Yeah. Promise maker, not promise breaker. Yeah. But that's the truth, right? I mean, I pr- probably, you know, I love how Jesus came and he's like, listen, don't make promises. Y'all are. Can you imagine God listening to us all the time, breaking promises? Like, y'all are the worst promise makers. <laughs> and he's like, I'm the best. Like, you, you have all this to learn from. And Jesus just came by and said, listen, just make your yes, yes, and your no, no. Let people get upset with you if they get upset with you. But at least be honest about your yes being yes and your no being no. That's why I've developed this whole thing. Like, I will help you if I can, but I don't know if I can. If I can, I will. But if I can, I can't. And I'm not going to feel guilty about it. I just can't. I will be sympathetic, but if I can, I just can't. But we see this all the time, right? A lot of people uh, are the pharaohs of life. They're hardened by their own pride or they're stubborn, right, to relinquish their, their whole and complete life to Jesus. They've, they're in this cycle just like he is. Like, man, it's a tough part of my life right now. These flies are horrible. You know what? Go and pray that God's, and I'm going to do all this. Oh, okay, we did. Now things are great. Psych, I ain't letting y'all go. I'm not... Like, things are good now. Why would I do that? <laughs> you know? like, and, and, and that's kind of how we are. We're back and forth, right? The Apostle Paul struggled with this. And in the Galatian church, Galatians 4.9, just so you know that we're not alone here as Christians struggling with this, Galatians 4.9, but now that you've come to know God, or rather be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? And listen, he answers his own questions as he deals with the spiritual decay happening in, in Ephesus. In Ephesians 4.18, they are darkened, talking about their hearts, in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of hearts. Because they keep doing this, this relenting without repenting, because they keep uh, making deals with God but never changing from God, right? They struggle. They're in this cycle Right? And a hard heart, it, bec- it becomes hard because you continually can be a certain way so that it just becomes that way. You get cynical and bitter. And a hard heart is a dangerous thing. It creates depression and ignorance. It leads to slavery, slavery and ultimately alienates you from God. Too many people struggle with this. Too many people have, like the Galatians, walked backwards on their Christian walk. Too many. Too many. There are things happening in this town, I'm telling you, and I'm not talking about it, just in the churches that are horrible, that are horrible examples, horrible things. I'm telling you, they're walking backwards. And, and mark my words, mark my words. Some of the stuff I see out here, I'm telling you, it's a matter of time. I'm just praying that it doesn't make the newspapers. That's what I'm praying, because when I start to see theology shift and I start to see standards get lowered, I'm telling you, it's because we're living contrary to the, what God has taught us to live. And I'm seeing these things already now. Like my wife sent me something while I was out uh, a couple of days ago. And it's like, did you see this? I'm like, yeah, like I see it. I've been knowing it for a while. You can always tell when something is happening, when somebody's theology begins to shift, right? Like it's easy to spot the pharaohs. That's easy. These are the ones that come every so often, you know, we might help them out. They'll come for a little while longer and then we never see them again because everything's good. Of course everything's good, right? I mean, listen, most of life is not horrible, Although we do live from the ups and the downs, very, very rarely do we remember the middle, right? Which is most of our life, okay? Most of our life. But we see this all the time. We see it all the time. And people develop their way of thinking so they can justify their life, period. We all do. We all do. Unless you keep your mind focused on the scriptures and keep your mind focused on Christ and make that the standard and level regardless of how you live, and that should be the standard no matter what. And, you know, the Bible actually presents two standards. It presents what's acceptable and what's excellence. 
And I'm just going to be honest. I don't shoot for acceptable. You can shoot for that if you want. But, and you can live by that. But that seems like living by mediocreness. And I'm just not going to do it. So we shoot for excellence here. The standards are always high. That's just the way it is, right? We want to walk forward. We're gonna, it's not going to be easy. It's never easy. Listen, changing repentance requires change. Holy giving our life to Christ. Holy surrendering our life. Unconditionally. Like, not if you let all the flies go, I will let every... God, I will... It's not... No, no, no. It doesn't work that way. You don't get to, like, make your conditions. Like, I will become a Christian... If, God, you do this, it doesn't work like that, right? You, you can't refuse to repent. How important is repentance? Well, let's just put it this way. John and Jesus both begin their ministries preaching it. And I'm going to tell you, beware the ministries that don't. Hear me. Beware of the ministries that don't. That don't preach pre- repentance. Repentance is a life change. If people's lives haven't changed, they have not repented. And I'm going to tell you something, too. This is something that's not in my notes, but I'm going to tell you, I was thinking about this the other day. Uh, you know, there, there's all this talk, you know, about people either whether they're beating up Kanye West, whether he's a Christian. Or not. I don't care whether Kanye's a Christian or not. You know what I'm going to judge him by? His fruits. And I'm not talking about his past fruits. So if he's saved, man, by gosh, praise Jesus that he's saved, okay? But now we'll see the fruits and his fruits. So I haven't said anything about him. Right? I'm not going to make a comment about him. I hope he's saved. I hope everybody in here is saved. But at the end of the day, if I'm going to judge anybody from inside the church, I'm just going to do what Jesus did. When I look at the tree, the fig tree right there, right? If you know the story real quick, just a real quick little info on the, why he uh, cast out the fig tree, why he withered it away. It's because when fig trees grow figs, the figs come in before the leaves. So that by the time you have leaves, you should absolutely have figs. And so when Jesus sees the tree over there with leaves, he assumes it's going to have the figs. When he sees it doesn't have the figs, he, he, he destroys it, right? He, he curses it, it withers away, right? And why does he destroy it? Because it looks like it should be fruitful, but it isn't. It's a lie. I'm going to tell you, there's churches and there's people who have leaves but no figs. Repentance produces figs. Repentance produces fruits, fruits, and Jesus is looking at those fruits, period, all right? Why is that so important? Why is repentance so strong? Why should that be such a powerful thing? Man, it's so important to grab, because listen, sin affects everybody. Sin affects everyone. Pharaoh's sin affected all of Israel. His hard heart affected all of them, right? His failure to repent and let the children of Israel out of captivity not only cost him everyone in the entire land. <laughs> Remember the sin of Achan in Joshua 7? Achan hid the unclean objects, objects that God specifically told them not to take. His sin cost Israel the lives of some of its greatest warriors in battle. That's how it all came out, right? How come we didn't win like you said we were going to win, God? Because you got sin up in there. I told you to be clean, not to do these things. Joshua, you got to weed it out, right? In the end, it ultimately cost Achan his own sons and daughters, the lives of all his livestock and animals. They burned everything to the ground. And that's not a new thing. This has been a case against sin from the beginning, from the, from, 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 from the sin of Adam and Eve, it passed down to mankind. Paul makes the whole thing in Romans 5. He says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, Right? And death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Right? Sin started because of what Adam and Eve. We don't even know them. Right? That's so far away. I mean, that's so long in the past, right? But we're still struggling today because of that fall. Sin affects everybody. What, what you do or don't do affects others. I'll close with an old fable this morning as, as why it's so important to be fruitful. And, and be repetitive. This is the, the fable. It says, A donkey and a fox had become close comrades and were constantly in each other's company. While the donkey cropped a bit of fresh greens, the fox would devour a chicken from the neighboring farmyard or a bit of cheese uh, from the dairy. One day, the pair unexpectedly met a lion. The donkey was very frightened, but the fox calmed his fears. I'll talk to him, he said. So the fox walked up boldly up to the lion. Your Highness, he said in an undertone, so the donkey could not hear him. I've got a fine scheme in my head. If you promise not to hurt me, I will lead that foolish creature 
into a pit where you can't where he can't get out and you can feast at your pleasure. The lion agreed and the fox returned to the donkey. I made him promise not to hurt us, said the fox. But come, I know a good place to hide till he's gone. So the fox led the donkey into a deep pit. But when the lion saw that the donkey was his for the taking, he first struck down the fox. You make decisions all the time, for good or for bad. It does come back to you. Pharaoh was the top of the land, the head guy. He's making decisions for everyone else. You ever know, you notice all the scriptures say Pharaoh and all his servants. Whatever he did affected everybody else in the land. His poor decisions affected everybody. When he did ill will, it came right back at him. And it didn't just come back at him. It came back to everyone else. And he thought he was untouchable, much like the fox. But there's always a line. Evil begets evil. Unrepentant people beget unrepentant people. The Bible talks heavily about this. Life begets life. Spirit begets spirit. If you're of the spirit, you give birth to things in the spirit. If you're of the flesh, you give birth to things of the flesh. Hard to move forward. If you haven't repented. There's too much relenting and not enough repenting. There's a lot of people that their life is a big give in. Their life is just a big give in. They give in to things all the time and they're just constantly being moved more like by the force of God. <laughs> you know, they're much like Samson. Like, I'm just enjoying my life. I was just having a good time. I mean, this girl is real pretty. She's really into me. I didn't know I was going to fall asleep and she was going to cut my hair and sell me over to the highest bidder of who hates me. Uh, I know. Because you remember that whole thing when we raised you up, Samson, and we said that you probably shouldn't drink? Yeah. Yeah, that wouldn't have happened to you if you'd been sober. That's not God's fault. That's yours. Uh, remember that whole thing you weren't supposed to be eating? You wouldn't be so tempted by the wine if you uh, were listening to the other rule, which is you're not supposed to be eating unclean things. So if you hadn't got, like, first of all, who goes over to a dead lion and goes, huh, I wonder what's in there I can eat? You know, it's, it's supposed to be decaying. It's supposed to be hollowed out because what's inside it is a bee. It's right. He gets all the honey from the bee's nest inside. First of all, who does that? Who looks for something dead and decaying? Oh, like, I'll look in this carcass and see if there's anything for me to eat down up in there. It's been sitting there a while, bro. Right? And you know where the carcass is? It was in the orchard. Remember, you're not supposed to be drinking wine, not even near it. Oh, no, I'm just going flirting with the grapes. Uh-huh. Every decision you have has consequences. Man, for Pharaoh, he, he got on the right track. Listen, he reached his boiling point. All right, these flies are enough. These things are enough. This hail is enough. I will let them go. And then, and then every time turn around, now that I got my way, you know what? I'm going to go back to the way I was. An unrepentant heart doomed his fate. An unrepentant heart doomed his fate. God has given us this Bible. And in this Bible is his word. His word is, exists. I mean, it, a lot of times we're like, oh, it's the map for your life. You know what this Bible is? This Bible is a way for you to know him who made you. And for what cause and purpose to which he made you. It's all written in it. And if you wonder about the will of God and the purpose of God, my, question, my, my suggestion to you would be read all the things first. Go type in this is the will of God into like a Strong's app or go pull out the old Strong's book and start looking that phrase up. I'm telling you, there's a ton of stuff already that says this is the will of God. Start there, right? And then you'll figure out where you need to go next. Can I tell you, why do you want to know? You think that's going to make it easier? You know, the other thing, you know, I, I, maybe this is the irony, too, about where I work. I work at a place that's actually the last two words of the name are Adventure Park. Adventure, right? But you know what we get asked all the time? You need more signs. Well, what kind of adventure is that? How many, how many stories do you tell of where you always found your way? I don't hear too many. You know, some of your best stories, I've listened to a lot of them, are never the ones where you actually knew what was going to happen next. Those are the ones you remember. You don't remember all the ones where everything went perfectly. You never tell me that story. You tell me the stories of always, of all these things where it went sour and you couldn't believe how it worked out. And it was a miracle. It was, the, it was where you were walking completely in unknown and in faith. And you just had to believe because you had no, no idea. Like it was horrible and everything and you can't believe how it turned out great. That's the whole idea. That's what adventure is, into the unknown. Then why are we so concerned? 
Why are we so concerned? Was this the will, is this the will of God for my life? Is this the purpose? Listen, that's the part of the unknown with God. Just walk with God. That's the fun part. I know, but I don't know what's going to happen next. I know. Welcome to the adventure. <laughs> that's what makes it fun to talk about. That's what makes up where we end up pretty neat. So that when we tell others about our story, they're like, how did you end up? Like, I don't even know. I just kept walking with God, and that's just how it ended up. And we just ended up at this life, you know. Uh, you know, 10 years here at Marble Falls uh, has been amazing. Like, you know, starting January, I start year 11, and I'm super pumped about that. And, and uh, I, was talking, I was, you know, talking to my family and everything. I would have never told you 20 years ago, 25 years ago, that I would end up here at some town I'd never been to in my entire life, falling in love with it, wanting to give my whole life to it and, and, and be where I am. There's no plan for that. That's what makes it an awesome story. That's what makes it the great story. You know, the difference, I, I said it, in, I've said it in my testimony before. If somebody will grab joy real quick. That uh, the big difference for me, why I left my job, I'm not telling you to leave your job, but for me I had to. Was I going to forfeit the great life for the good life? I had a good life. I had a great job. I had a house. And I could have survived the, the housing market crash. And, and everything was good. And everything felt great. The only thing that was at conflict in my heart, that, that it could be better. And I had given up on the idea that it could just by sitting in, the, in, the, in the, the experience that I was sitting in, my life that I was sitting in. But I was hungry for more. I was hungry for the unknown. What could be? How great can it be? Is there this great life out there? I looked at the Bible and I see like, how many of us, man, we like to hear the stories of like Elijah. And man, and he's walking to and fro, like next thing you know, fire comes down. Or remember how he leaves this world? He leaves this world and then there's like uh, the chariot that comes down. Well, I'm going to tell you something. You don't get that story by sitting in your house. You don't get that story by living this comfortable life. You get the chariot that comes down and gets you because you did whatever God asked you to do, wherever that may end up. Can you imagine, like we read about, we read about Jonah's life. I'm going to tell you right now, how as crazy as that story is, can you imagine if he had to tell it? Man, I was like trying to get, I was, I mean, like we how many times have you heard the story about the guy who's tried to run from God and God still come back? But probably not like Jonah's. Can you imagine him telling that story? Can you imagine anybody believing him? <laughs> I mean, seriously, like, man, I was running, I mean, you talk about you running from God. Man, I was running from God. I got swallowed by this fish. They're like, that dude's a liar. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I was so angry and bitter at God. He like grew this flower for a shade for me. And I was like, I don't want that. You know, like, uh-huh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, nobody believes that stuff. That my wife is, is, you know, awesome about praying. But float the axe head anytime we lose keys or, uh, you know, actual axe sometimes. You never know. But She'll always pray that and be like, oh, we're looking for keys, we're looking for a book, we're looking for something, and, and be like, all right, I'm going to pray that we float the axe head or whatever, right? And just listen to that story. God made steel float. Okay. I mean, think about this. Walking with God is an adventure, right? I mean, think, Moses didn't plan on ending up here. This is just where his life turned out. Moses gave up. He tried his way of change. He tried muscling it, right? He gave up. That's when God found him, right? He gave up, and that's when God found him. And he had no idea. He thought like every time, well, God's just going to do it. Remember he goes back after the first time? It's much like, he's much like uh, Pharaoh a little bit the first time. God, I went to him. You didn't do what you said you were going to do. Now, you showed up burning in the bush, and that seemed pretty awesome to me. But when it came time to talk to Pharaoh, you backed off. Where were you? We just made snakes. You could do better than snakes. I mean, think about it. He didn't want to go back. And God's like, no, no, you're going back. Like, not only that, but we're going to do this a while. We're going to do this a while. I'm going to make a point, you know? And he used Pharaoh's stubbornness against him. And guys, the, the twofold thing of that is God will use your stubbornness against you too. Man, look for his heart, not his hands. Be about, be about loving him unconditionally and completely. Coming to church never gets you saved. But I tell you what, it sure does help in the walk. It sure does help in the walk. Like I said, you know, I can't tell you how many people that we see, and, it, and coming to church is not going to get you saved. Coming to church is not going to make your relationship with Jesus like more intimate and close, but it does help you. It helps you strive for it personally because really the only way you can have a relationship with Jesus is personally. 
That's the only way you can do it, personally. I have a wife, but she doesn't make my relationship with Jesus better. Now, it does help that she's always feeding into it. There's always this encouragement coming in from one side going, hey, are you praying? Are you reading your Bible? Are you doing these things? Are, you know, are you ready to preach? Are you, you know, there's these things that's always driving me and pushing me. That's what the body of Christ does. They act on behalf of Jesus to be the best cheerleader you have. And, and by gosh, let me just tell you something now. Uh, I don't know much, but after 46 years of living, I'm going to tell you right now, everybody needs a cheerleader. Everybody needs somebody that cheers them on. That's hard to do if you don't come. It's hard to do. And man, and there's, there's, there's a lot of people that over time, that's where, that's where we've lost them. Not because we're not a good cheerleader. It's because they're struggling like Pharaoh. That as soon as what goes right for them happens, this is where the struggle comes. And you start to realize this is where the great revelation of our hearts is that when God is doing something for us, we're all in. And when God's not, right, or when life is just in the middle, that's when we struggle the most. So it's either the highs or the lows. But let me tell you, your life is directed by the middle. Your life is directed by the middle. You want more highs than lows? Get the middle right. Start making good decisions, right? You're around the body not because it makes you more safe. You're around the body because you need a cheerleader. You need people in your life that encourage you, lift you up, pray for you, and are for you. Are for you. And, man, that's, that's my hope here, not just for me as a pastor, to be the best cheerleader you've ever had, uh, to, to live for you and to ultimately uh, be here for you in anything that you need. But I want us to be that for each other. My job is to make you pastors. I want to make you pastors where you do the work of the ministry the same as I do the work of the ministry. My, my part of it is just the teaching part. Maybe the teaching part, maybe a little bit of organization. And my wife will tell you, ah, that's not me either. That's really charity and joy. <laughs> so mostly the teaching. <laughs> then, and a little bit, some of the organization. But very little. Yeah. Let's, let's worship the Lord this morning.